Well, we'd like to express our appreciation today to the choir and those in the handbell choir and all that you put together for us today on this special Easter Sunday. Before we as a congregation return to sing together some of the wonderful hymns of Easter and the wonderful hymns of resurrection, I'd like to invite you this morning to turn over with me to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 1 is where we're turning this morning. Romans chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 4 and one quick application to verse 5 by the end of the message to see why does this make any difference whatsoever. I'm very conscious of the fact this morning that when many of you look back across Easter's of the past, you may be, as I was, you may be have been in a situation where you were in a church where these invisible realities, and some of them would challenge whether or not they're realities, that that which is invisible is, in their thinking, largely imaginary. They would say, for instance, that you and I today, if we celebrate the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, that we are fooling ourselves. And growing up as I did in a very liberal church, I'm very familiar with the arguments that were made that this is all just make-believe of sorts. But you know, when you get into the scriptures, you find the way they are written was as specific eyewitness accounts that have been passed down to us in a way that by the time Luke got around to writing Acts, the book of Acts, he talked about in Acts chapter 1 how that the Lord demonstrated that he was alive by many infallible proofs. That's a remarkable statement. By many infallible proofs. Well, today what we're going to look at in Romans chapter 1 is the impact of some of these eyewitness accounts in order to try to better understand the glory of this Resurrection Sunday, the glory of Easter. Look with me, if you will, at Romans chapter 1, and notice the words here that Paul began with, introducing himself. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised before by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, who was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. Shall we pause together to pray? For his name, Lord, for the glory of our great God, We gather here today on this Easter Sunday, 2023, to magnify you. Grant, dear Heavenly Father, that this messenger would be moved out of the way and we would think upon the very words of our God. Help us, we pray, to understand the reality 
of the resurrection from the dead. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We gather then here today to celebrate the physical, bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. As declared throughout the New Testament, as predicted in the Old Testament, we have here the understanding that this is the powerful reality. Why? Because all of humanity was under the curse. Hebrews chapter 2 tells us that Mankind, all its life long, has lived in bondage to the fear of death. And here is the curse. And yet something happened on Resurrection Sunday. What happened? Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Son of Man, rose bodily from the dead, demonstrating to us that he had the power to reverse the curse, that he had the power to take the very course of lives and change them and radically change them from failing lives to very fulfilling lives. In short, what we could say today is this, the risen Lord can renew your life. The risen Lord can resurrect your living, resurrect your life, and give you life anew, life that is different. Now, as a moment, I noted a few moments ago, the difficulty here is that there is this connection between the visible and invisible that some people challenge in an outright manner. What do you think about when you think about the connection of the visible and invisible? If you sit to think about it for very long, as I did in trying to prepare for this message, I realize that one of the places we usually see this is at dusk and at dawn. At dawn, before the dawn light breaks, before the light arises in the sky, it's very difficult for you and me to see the things that we are are really out there in front of us. Unless it's a moonlit night, unless there are stars shining brightly, you and I recognize that, well, it's just difficult to see some of those things with the naked eye. But you let those first early rays of the sun begin to come over the horizon and suddenly we can see the distinction. Even on a cloudy day, even when it's overcast, Yet those light rays that come up help us to begin to distinguish the difference between earth and sky. And if you and I watch the sunset, we realize that in reverse, it fades into the darkness. Well, why is that? It's because light bounces off of things that are solid and bounces in such a way that We can recognize them with our eyes, with our optic nerves, with our brains. We can see that which is solid. It's very difficult for you and me to see that which is invisible. In fact, sometimes we're glad we can't see that which is invisible. Look around just for a moment. Look at the people on either side of you and recognize, oh, I'm looking right through something that is invisible in order to see visible people all around me. I'm looking through the invisible air. In the very same way, when you look at these boundaries between that which is invisible and that which is visible, it teaches us a little bit about the nature and reality of life. For instance, 
you yourself are made up of invisible components as well as visible components. As you sit here today, you are sitting here and you have a soul, an invisible soul, and an invisible spirit. You know that God himself has a visible and invisible component. And and here's what we know. Even when we look at ourselves, we recognize, you know, those invisible parts of us, our spirit and our soul, actually have very visible results in our actions, in the way we live our lives. And it's very much dependent upon that invisible part of us. In fact, in order to understand the most significant matters of life, the most important things of life, we know that we are going to have to look past the visible to the invisible to answer the most important questions. Questions like, Where did we come from? What is the source of our existence? Why why are we even here? What is our destiny? What is our purpose? All of those things come from that which is invisible, that which we're speaking to this morning. As I say, God himself has an invisible and visible component. We learn, for instance, as we work through 1 John chapter 4, that No one has seen God the Father at any time. Yet, in the very next verses, the apostles testified that they were eyewitnesses of his Son. And they also knew the power of the invisible Holy Spirit working through them. Do you see what I mean then this morning as I'm making this connection between the invisible and the visible and the boundary that is there? What we're looking for this morning is a connection. If you were to write a sentence today, perhaps the last piece of punctuation that you would put on it would be a period. That would signify one thing. Perhaps you would put a question mark. That would signify something else. Maybe for you it would be a colon or a semicolon or even an exclamation mark. By using that kind of punctuation, you are saying something about the sentence that you are expressing. Well, in the very same way, we have this connection this morning between the invisible and the visible that is punctuated with an exclamation mark. And that exclamation mark is the most powerful evidence of the connection between the invisible and the visible, that exclamation mark is what we are celebrating on this Resurrection Sunday. We are celebrating the verifiable evidence, the exclamation mark, if you will, of the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead testified to, as we noted in 1 Corinthians 15 in our scripture reading earlier in the service, testified to by these eyewitness accounts. This is really remarkable when you stop to think about it. If you were to go back and read Julius Caesar, read about his Gallic Wars, read about the Civil War, you would find that Julius Caesar's writings, there are only five existing copies of what Julius Caesar wrote. And yet, Nobody doubts the veracity of that writing. Nobody doubts that there is anything wrong about the history there, that it's pretty well a a true account. 
years ago when I read it, I noticed that Julius Caesar mentioned a little town (laughs) called London. He was talking about London, England today, a little town called London. You see, though there are only five existing copies of Julius Caesar's writings that have been copied over, no one doubts the truthfulness of those. And yet, dear friends, you have hundreds of copies of what we are reading here today. Hundreds of copies that have been passed down to us. And why would that be? It was because there were eyewitnesses who saw the things that we are describing today And they were so intent on passing those down to us because they were so fully persuaded by what they had seen and knew that they were going to persuade others in the very same way. As John wrote it in 1 John chapter 1, he says, That which we have seen and heard and our hands have handled of the word of life. He said, These things write we unto you that your joy may be full. You can have a certainty, a confidence about your joy because of these eyewitness accounts. Now we can see a little hint of this eyewitness account here, even in Romans chapter 1 in that very first verse that we read a few moments ago. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, stopped just for a moment to ask, who's Paul? Well, Paul before was a murderous adversary of Jesus Christ. You read in the scriptures that he set out, I mean, he went out of his way to try to destroy those who were part of the faith, according to Acts chapter 9. He was breathing out slaughter. And yet his testimony was that on the road to Damascus, he met with, he saw with his own eyes, the risen Lord. That changed the course of his life. The adversary, Saul, became the apostle Paul. How do we account for that? How do we look at this reversal from this cursed behavior? How can we see that difference? We can see it right there in Paul. And here he is, he's describing himself as as a servant of Jesus Christ. Whoa, before he was the slayer of those who tried to follow Christ. Now he's a servant of Jesus Christ. And not only that, He describes himself as called to be an apostle. The word apostle means one who was sent out. You see, he's not only merely not a slayer of believers anymore, now he's a sent one of Jesus Christ. How do you and I account for that? He says he was separated unto the gospel of God a phrase that we'd like to examine more carefully in this message. But remember, it's not just Paul that we are talking about here. It's all the apostles. I mean, how do you account for the fact that that Peter, a businessman, a humble fisherman on the Sea of Galilee, follows Jesus Christ and then denies that he even knows Jesus Christ, denies it with an oath, denies it with cursing to demonstrate to everybody that he is emphatic in his denial. You talk about a terrible failure, so much so that by the time you read the resurrection account in Mark chapter 16, and the angel is speaking to the women, and, she, and the angel is telling them that 
Jesus Christ has risen from the dead and is going before his apostles into Galilee. And, and here's what the angel said. Go and tell his disciples and Peter. Wait, wait, why, why and Peter? Well, it's because Peter probably had come to the conclusion that he was such a miserable failure. And he realized that he had denied the risen Lord. He denied the one, denied Jesus Christ, who is now risen from the dead. He thought, I'm probably not even one of those anymore. I doubt the Lord even wants me in his army. He certainly doesn't want me as one of his leaders anymore. And yet, that very same Peter who had failed to count the cost, became the mighty apostle of Pentecost. Let that sink in. Peter, the one who failed to count the cost of what it would cost him to follow Jesus Christ, he, by the amazing grace of God, became the mighty apostle of Pentecost. Folks, that is amazing. But it's the very connection that we are highlighting here this morning when we talk about this connection between the invisible God and his very visible grace that is at work in each and every one of our lives. So as we examine this today, we have to ask ourselves, what is it that Paul is pointing to here? Now notice, if you will, in our text again this morning, that the Apostle Paul says in verse 1 that he was separated unto the gospel of God. The gospel of God. What does gospel mean? It's a reference to the good news of God. What is good news? Well, you could say, hey, I think it would be good news tomorrow if we found out we didn't have to pay income tax anymore. Okay, is that the good news that would get you to heaven? Of course not. What we're looking at today is the good news of God, the good news of the gospel. But watch what he says here about this gospel. It says, which he, now wait a minute, who's the he in verse 2, which he had promised before by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning, look at verse 3, his son, go back to verse 2, who's the he? It's a reference to God the Father. That God the Father had promised before by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning the second person of the Godhead, his son Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. And look for the Spirit in verse 4, because he says, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness or the Holy Spirit. And how did that happen? Here's that exclamation mark again. By the resurrection from the dead. What is it we're celebrating on this Easter Sunday? Dear friends, we're celebrating the good news of Jesus Christ that was planned by God the Father. It was performed by God the Son. And it was proclaimed with power by the Holy Spirit of God. You see, you have here a reference to the Trinity, or what has sometimes been referred to as the triunity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, all at work in helping you and me today have new confidence, a new understanding of the power of the good news of Jesus Christ. Think about it just for a moment. 
as the handbell choir just a few moments ago was performing for us, or as the choir was performing for us, are these just uh, religious niceties? I mean, do is this is this all just sort of you know stained glass religiousness that we are talking about here to try to oh you know try to give ourselves a a little sort of a happy snappy life, dear friend? Far from it. You see, that's why in 1 Corinthians 15, when we read a few moments ago, Paul said, if these things are not true, your faith is vain, our preaching is vain, it is all empty, it is all nothingness. But Jesus Christ did rise bodily from the grave. Let's understand it today, and let's go back and look at it, the way it comes together for us here in this passage. This good news comes from God the Father. That is, it was planned by God the Father. You say, was it planned at the last moment? Oh, no. Look look at what it says there. He says, which he had promised before by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. You can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, sometimes referred to with a Latin term, Proto-Evangelium, first reference to the gospel, you can go all the way back to the moments after the fall and recognize that God began to make promises. Years ago, I was with a friend. We were visiting with a man who I believe was a Buddhist. And the man said to me, as a very young Christian, he said, "Uh, well, look, what about the people who died before Christ ever came? What about those people are they now in hell because Christ had not come yet? And I had no idea how to answer the man. I, 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 sat, I sat there and thought, I've never even thought of that before. I mean, what? what? And, and on the way away from there, the man who was with me began to try to explain some things. And then that caused me to really try to get into the scriptures and realize, wait, the gospel didn't begin with Jesus Christ. No, it it was promised by God the Father throughout the scriptures. Think of it this way, as a giant pyramid, a foundation that was laid all across the ages in the Old Testament. And what it does is that pyramid culminates, shall we say here, in passages like Romans chapter 1 verses 1 through 4, we recognize that it culminates, it comes to its zenith, it comes to its peak, because it was all promised by God the Father. What kind of promises are we talking about? You can see there in your manuscript, the Lord promised Abraham in Genesis chapter 22 and verse 18, in your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. All the nations of the earth will be blessed. If you're looking at Romans chapter 1, look at verse 5 just for a moment and notice what it says. By which we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations. This is not something that was done in a corner the way it's expressed in Acts. This is not just localized religiousness. No, no, no. This is for the entire world, all nations together. And that's exactly what the Lord promised. He promised Abraham. In you, in your seed, shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. By the time you get to the end of Peter's message in Acts chapter 3, he says he, he blessed us in turning us away from our iniquities. You have promises like the one in Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, when he said, 
thou Bethlehem Ephrata. This is kind of interesting. It's not just like generalized blessings. He says to Abraham, in you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Oh, that's nice. We're going to have a blessing. Oh, no, no, no. It's very specific. It's very specific about the nature of that blessing. So much so that in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, Thou Bethlehem Ephrata, though you be little among all the villages, yet out of you shall come forth he that is to be ruler in Israel. I love this. Whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. Micah chapter 5, verse 2 was specifically talking about the fact that the one who would come forth was the eternal one. It it was the eternal God. Well, wait, how could the eternal God be born in a little burg in Bethlehem? There we have that wonderful connection, another wonderful connection between the invisible and visible, that the invisible God became a human being. That's what we're celebrating here on this Resurrection Sunday. And you can think about it this way. This good news came from God the Father. It was planned by God the Father, but it was performed by someone else. Who is that? If you're looking at Romans chapter 1, notice what it says in verse 3. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the one who was born in Bethlehem Ephrata. That's the one whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. So that which was promised in the Old Testament, that foundation that I was talking about a few moments ago that was laid, here you begin to see it come in reality because what God had promised, that's exactly what he would perform. When David made a a wonderful covenant with the Lord, he told the Lord he wanted to honor him The Lord made a covenant with David, and he said, David, through you, the Messiah will be born. The king who is to come, he will come from your lineage. That's why you see in verse 3, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David. Now we understand, not only the seed of Abraham, in you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, but also the seed of David, David, the king of Israel, He says here, according to the flesh, this is the good news about Jesus Christ, the second person of the Godhead, the Son of God. This is the good news about him because he performed that which God the Father had promised, that which God the Father had planned. This is the gospel of God about the Son of God. The gospel of God is about Jesus, the Christ. He refers to him here as our Lord. The gospel of God is about the Son of Man. Well, wait, wait, stop the message. Which one is it? Is he the Son of God or the Son of Man? And the answer is, he is both. He is both the second person of the Godhead and he became the Son of David. You ask the question today, well, why, why, why in the world would he, would he do such a thing? He did so so that he might endure physical death for us. When the angel was speaking to Mary, Luke chapter 2 and verse 32, this is what the angel said. He, speaking of Jesus Christ, he shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest, the son of the high God, the most high God, the son of the highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him 
the throne of his father, David. Do you see it? Son of God and son of man. Again, why was that? He did so for the suffering of death. This is the way it's expressed in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14. The son of God took on, quote, flesh and blood that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death. That is the devil. Remember what we talked about a few moments ago. In Hebrews chapter 2, we learn that all humanity is in bondage to the fear of death. Nobody likes to talk about it. When you go to the funeral home, they try to put on a, a, like a rose-colored lamp close to the deceased so that the complexion still looks sort of rosy and we've sort of sanitized everything there is about death. But anybody who thinks about it for very long recognizes, whoa, I mean, death. I mean, think about the reality of death. And Hebrews 2 says they're in bondage to the fear of death. This is what we're celebrating today. Jesus Christ overcame death. He rose again from the dead so that you and I on this Easter Sunday need not sit and worry and fear and think, well, what will it be like when I die? Dear friends, for those who come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, death is no longer a terror. Death has become an usher, an usher who says, oh, you're here, right this way, please, and you're with the Lord, absent from the body, present with the Lord. This is the reality of which we speak today. But now we get down to the exclamation mark in the message. Look, if you will, at what it says in verse 4 of Romans chapter 1 and declared, okay, so now Jesus Christ is being proclaimed. Proclaimed by whom and, and with what sort of power, with what sort of exclamation mark. He says, declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of holiness. And what's the exclamation mark? It is by the resurrection from the dead. Now, across the ages, across the years, every once in a while, you'll run across a teacher, and some of them are very well known, and they have actually repented of this. You will have some say that Jesus Christ became the Son of God when he was raised from the dead. That's not true. You can see Paul is even expressing it here. It says, concerning his Son, Jesus Christ. But what is true is that the resurrection, the bodily resurrection from the dead was a powerful, most of us would say the most powerful, exclamation mark on the gospel that you find anywhere. Think about it this way just for a moment. In the Old Testament, the best and greatest demonstration of God's power was the Exodus. It comes out over and over again in the Old Testament. That's the most powerful demonstration that God would bring his people out of Egypt. In the New Testament, the most powerful demonstration of God's power is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It is, in a sense, another kind of exodus. Think of it this way. When you come to your last dying day, you are coming to your exodus from this world. You are coming to the exodus whereby you are going to be with the Lord. And I think most of us here would say, and that's the greatest exodus of all, that the Lord would give us that kind of demonstration of his power. 
Now let's think for a few moments in closing about how the Apostle Paul, how he actually applied what we are talking about here today. First of all, I find it interesting over in Romans chapter 8, verses 33 and 34, here's what he said. He said, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? He's speaking here of Christians, of believers, those who have come to know the Lord. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. What does he mean by that? He means it is God who declares someone to be righteous. Wait a minute. How is it that that sinners, depraved sinners, such as you and I were born, and all of humanity sinners, how is it possible they could be righteous in God's sight? That's the power of the gospel. That repentant sinners embracing Jesus Christ as their substitute for sin and death, their substitute with which they are raised, identifying with Jesus Christ, embracing him, that what happens is they are radically changed and most importantly in God's sight. This is why Paul is saying it this way in Romans chapter 8, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies, God that declares someone to be righteous. And then he asks this question, if God is declaring someone to be righteous, then who is he that condemns? <laughs> you and I are going, shrug. I mean, look, if it's, if it's God who says that someone is righteous, then who could condemn? And then he puts it this way, it is Christ that died Yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Romans chapter 8, verses 33 and 34. This, 33 and 34, this is the reality of which we speak today. Do you remember when those who were at the foot of the cross, they were saying about Jesus Christ, well, let God have him if he will have him. With the power of the resurrection demonstrates, the power of the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, is that indeed God would have him. He not only had him brought forth from the dead, he also has him ascended to the right hand of the Father and even now making intercession for us. And dear friends, why is that important for every one of us? Because Ephesians testifies that you and I are accepted in the beloved one. We are accepted in Christ. That when God the Father said about his son, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, he is saying exactly the same thing to everyone who is in Christ. Why? We have been declared righteous. We, we have been declared to be justified in God's sight. Who is he that can condemn us? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again and has ascended before the throne. So even today, as you and I pray, we have an intercessor before the throne. Notice the way that Paul applies this then finally in verse 5 of our text in Romans chapter 1, verse 5. He says, by whom, he's speaking of Jesus Christ, by him, we have received grace. What's grace? That's the undeserved, unmerited favor of God. And apostleship, men like Paul were granted that authority. They were granted apostleship for what purpose? Look at verse 5 carefully. 
for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. It has become very common for people to present the gospel and say, won't you please accept Jesus Christ as Savior? May I point out to you that this passage is saying it very differently. This passage is saying that gospel was presented for your obedience. That is, to reject Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior is disobedience. I am rejoicing today, and I was thinking about this on the way here this morning. On two very special Easter's, two people came to know the Lord here in our services. One of them is sitting here this morning. I greeted her this morning and said, I remember that Easter, and she said, I do too. Another was the brother of someone who was here this morning who presented himself at the end of the service, and he was gloriously saved. And you and I today know and can see this reality in our own lives. If today you know the Lord in your soul, in your spirit, you have been regenerated. You have been made anew by this connection between the invisible and the visible. And the Apostle Paul is saying, by the way, it's not just us. It's not just me. It, it's not just you. He says, no, this is for the entire world. It's among all nations. God's servants have been enabled and authorized by this gospel of grace. This is the reason we go about. This is the reason for our missions program. This is the reason we tell others here in our local area. It's the reason Randy Raymond wrote a tract about his gospel experience before he went to be with the Lord. This is the gospel of grace of which we speak that enables, it authorizes God's servant. It's the gospel of God that has been given for the obedience of faith. There's an interesting way to think about faith. The obedience of faith among all nations. This is why we would use the acronym for faith, forsaking all, I trust him. That, that's a great way to think about faith. Forsaking all. In other words, in obedience to the gospel. Because God the Father planned it and Jesus Christ performed it and the Holy Spirit proclaimed it by the resurrection from the dead, you and I can say today, forsaking all else. This is the most important thing in life. Forsaking all, I trust him. This is gospel grace for all the world to see in our own local area, our state, our nation, our world, the gospel of God to be obeyed by all the nations. But one final point, and quite frankly, the most important point of all. Look at what it says in verse 5 in the very last phrase. This is for his name. What does that mean? It is for the glory of our God. What does that mean? It means magnifying the unique excellence of our God. It is according to his fame, his glory, his authority that we speak today. This is not for any man, any human being to try to take credit for or anybody to say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a really good preacher. I'm not a very good preacher. I used to, I appreciated Dr. Snavely who served here for many, many years. And Dr. Snavely said, I may not be the best gospel preacher, but nobody has a better gospel to preach. I always appreciated the way he said that. And that's the truth. That's a reality for every one of us today. What is our point? 
in this connection between the visible and invisible today, we have someone who has crossed the barrier, and that is the Son of God. Eyewitnesses testified of him. He not only lived the righteous life that you and I should have lived, he died the sinner's death that we should have died, and then, according to eyewitness accounts, he rose again gloriously from the grave. The point? That risen Lord can resurrect your life. That risen Lord can renew your life and give you the greatest joy and the greatest fulfillment you have ever known. Shall we bow our heads together, please? On this Easter Sunday morning, I want you to carefully then think about your relationship with the Lord. You heard today that it was for the obedience to the faith among all nations. Have you obeyed him by faith? Have you forsaken all and trusted him? If your testimony today is, I know that I know the Lord. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. Would you lift your hand just as a testimony to that, as a silent testimony to say, I have trusted Jesus Christ. I know that I have trusted him as my Lord and Savior. Thank you. You may put them down. Dear friends, if you were not able today to testify to that, may we please have the opportunity to sit with you and talk to you about the greatest joy of life, and that is in recognizing that Jesus Christ died for your sins and rose again bodily from the grave. He can grant you the greatest freedom you've ever known. He can deliver you from the bondage to the fear of death. Why not take the opportunity on this Easter Sunday, as others have, why not take the opportunity to embrace him as your Lord and Savior? Father, thank you for what you've shown us today. Now, as we sing these wonderful Easter hymns, I pray that you would help us to rejoice from our hearts about the glories of this Resurrection Sunday. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.